Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A new study shows how messed up Ontario's paramedicine system is. We chat with Hamilton's mayor about moving the city and the province forward. Who's in, who's out in the municipal election? Disabled paddleboarder Mike Shorman has completed his amazing trek. We're joined by a 15-year-old Hamilton swimmer who medaled at the International Children's Games. And I try my best to make up for a big gaffe. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The challenges you have is that when you're short-staffed in many areas or short of ambulances, you can't move them around with that uh, ability uh, because you're depleted already in many areas. So that's why we're facing these challenges right now. And that challenge is real. Emergency rooms, emergency departments, Closing for hours or days in some cases because of, well, in large part because of a staffing shortage across this country. Not only here in Hamilton, but really coast to coast. And paramedics across this country are struggling to respond to emergency calls because many of them have come in. There's not many of these paramedics on the road. And if they are, they probably have a patient in their vehicle and are transporting them to hospital. Once they get there, then they're waiting long times to get into the hospital. But there's more to this story as well, is that there seems to be many needless calls to paramedics. Let's dive into this with Ryan Strum. He's a PhD candidate in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence and Impact at McMaster University and the lead author of a new study that we're going to talk about here. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me on the show today. It looks like you have uncovered some really sobering statistics. What did you find? So exactly as you're mentioning here, I think there's multiple stories to tell uh, when it comes to healthcare today related to paramedics in the emergency department. Uh, to put briefly, uh, researchers and I at McMaster University were examining some topics around COVID and look at the impact that it's had on paramedics and emergency department uses and seeing that, that everything is really, really constrained. What we want to understand is whether this is a new phenomena or maybe something that has occurred in the past and now it's just being exacerbated by COVID. So we undertook a study that looked at the 10 years prior to the COVID pandemic, um, looking at emergency department data and looking at who got there and, and how they got there um, to understand whether this whether this this uh, this has been occurring for quite a bit of time um, what we found with there were a drastic increase in paramedic transports the 10 years prior to the covid pandemic illustrating that um that, that these resources are certainly being used more and more and more um th- than we would have thought um prior to covid um, we even looked at how patients were being transported and we looked at per 100,000 ontarians they, we found that even the rates are being used more. So per the same population, the, they're simply calling 911 services more and more and more to access healthcare. And the reason is, well, who are these users and why are they using this resource so much? And then we tried to look at other factors such as or what are the ages, what are their genders, what are the regions of Ontario, number of conditions that they're coming in with, and simply put, they're exploding across all these categories. And we've really try to understand why that might be and what we can do about it. And that's part of what our research did. So part of the the research found that in 2019 alone, two in five people in this province over the age of 65 called for an ambulance, which accounted for f- nearly half of all the calls that were made for an ambulance. That seems like an absurdly high number. Why did you find out why that's happening? 
so yeah, so thank you, thank you, Rick. This is one study in a in a chain of studies that we'll be releasing over uh, both about the next year to try and understand this phenomena. And you're absolutely correct. Is that we do find that the older age cohort is using up more and more ambulance services each year. And if you look down the road, you think about how the population is going to be aging in Ontario. This could only be exacerbated um, as as we go forward through the years. Certain these patients need. Uh, healthcare and resources um, that are there are certainly scarce within Ontario, but I think that there might be a, a great opportunity for paramedics as well as healthcare in general to play a greater role in delivering some healthcare to these patients at their homes or through alternative places when it's safe and appropriate beyond the emergency department. What we understand from the emergency department, especially uh, recently in the news, is that these resources are are very limited and scarce. And we want to make sure that we can protect them um, by by taking the patients that are most need of them. And we, what we understand from this research is that there might be an opportunity um, in the future and hopefully the near future to give paramedics the decision tools to say, OK, this patient needs to go to the emergency department. This patient could be safely treated at home and referred to a primary care specialist. Um, and that way we sort of can help to alleviate some of the overcrowding that could be occurring within emergency departments, especially observed in Hamilton and around Ontario. We only have about a minute. So right now, paramedics cannot make that decision, correct? That is correct. Right now, there's no legislation in place. Yeah, that, that seems kind of weird. And it's clear that paramedicine in, in, in and of itself needs to undergo a major tweak, whether that is setting up some kind of facility where patients can go to apart from a hospital. That remains to be seen, but we'll certainly follow up on the uh, the other tidbits of info that are going to emerge from this series of studies. Ryan, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Rick, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Happy to be on anytime. That is Ryan Strom, a Ph.D. candidate in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence and Impact at McMaster University and the lead author of the study, Increased Demand for Paramedic Transports to the Emergency Department in Ontario, a population-level descriptive study from 2010 to 2019. Certainly some sobering statistics, uh, including that nearly a 40% spike in paramedic transports in this province from 2010 to 2019, well before the pandemic came to life. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Association of Municipalities of Ontario, or AMO, met last week. What was on the agenda? Well, let's ask one of the participants. Mayor of City of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger, joins us on GMH. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you? Uh, good morning, Rick. I'm great, thank you. What uh, topped the agenda at AMO? Well, a number of things. Uh, we, we wanted to uh, certainly impress upon the Minister of Finance that we're, uh, we're hoping that we uh, get some $40 million of COVID-related expenses uh, covered, as they've been great to cover some of those expenses previously. That uh, is certainly an important issue for our local taxpayers. So we impressed upon him the importance of the 2022-2023 support for those COVID relief funds. Uh, we uh, had a good chat with the uh, a meeting with the Minister of Health uh, we, we've had on the table for quite some time now a, a, an application to get funding for wraparound supports for mental health and addictions for the homeless folks uh, that are out there. We could house a hundred of those individuals had, had we, if we had the money to do the mental health and addiction uh, 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 supports that uh, they so desperately need. Just housing them doesn't uh, 
doesn't help them. Uh, what what does help them is to have those uh, mental health and addiction supports that they're going to need going forward. So we we talked about that. We talked about the uh, ambulance offload issue, which uh, has been uh, you know code zero, which has been a, a you know, plaguing issue both here and right across the province. And there there just needs to be a solution to not having ambulances available and not having the ability for the uh, the paramedics to drop off their patients in the hospital. They have to wait. So we have five, six, seven, or eight ambulances standing there waiting for the hospital to do uh, to do their important work. And, uh, you know, and LRT obviously came up with uh, Minister Mulroney. We've had quite a an interesting journey on that. This is the ministry that originally canceled it and then found a way to uh, get back to a uh, more uh, 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 inclusive funding regime, so federal and provincial funding, fully funded now by the uh, by the the province and the federal government, and certainly some discussion about the progress there and uh, and the what if, God forbid, that someone decides to uh, to try and unwind this. So, uh, what are the costs that the city will have to bear to uh, to to be able to do that, and the fact that uh, you know if if there is any sense of uh, cancellation, which I, I I seriously doubt and I hope not. Uh, but all the money goes away. Uh, that, you know, the money's not going to stay here for any other project. It's for LRT and LRT only. And that was a pretty clear message from the minister um, uh, at our meeting uh, just just last week. So lots of important issues for the city and uh, certainly lots of uh, important topics that uh, the f- future council is going to have to deal with. In regards to the paramedic offload delays, and Premier Doug Ford is going to be taking part in a summit on the country's health care crisis, and this is one of the topics they'll be discussing. What do you hope is going to come out of that? What is a solution here? Well, it's kind of probably a multi-tiered solution. I think, uh, you know, triaging those patients so they may not need to go into an ambulance is one, one area that, uh, that is being discussed. Uh, the other one uh, is uh, a fit to sit. In other words, uh, you know, they might have arrived at the hospital in an ambulance, but uh, once they've assessed them, you know, could they just sit in the waiting room like uh, like like many other people could, rather than having to be in a gurney and that the ambulance can get back on the road? <laughs> and there's also the issue of uh, hospital capacity, and you know, the the challenges we've seen in the healthcare system through COVID and still going. Uh, right now today is that there's very limited capacity for them either in that space or to be able to transition people out of the hospital into either home care or or long-term care uh, that is then tying up hospital beds. So there's a multi, multi-layered, you know, opportunities here to deal with this, but it's going to require uh, investments uh, in health care. It's going to require investments in hospital capacity, in home care capacity, and in long-term care capacity. That will free up some hospital beds, and that will make it easier for hospitals to take in patients as if they need to be taken into the hospital. We only got about 30 seconds. Was urban sprawl at all discussed? Uh, we uh, requested a meeting with uh, Minister Clark, and uh, unfortunately uh, that, that request was declined, so we did not get an opportunity to have that discussion. But it's certainly something that I'll track back to uh, Minister Clark on, uh, hopefully between now and the end of the term, to you know impress upon him the importance of this uh, you know I think major decision for our city. And you know they earlier indicated that they were not supportive of that direction. So uh, we'll see what they're going to do, but uh, I doubt that they're going to do anything until after the election. Mayor Fred, always appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning.
Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, Mayor of the City of Hamilton, joining us here after attending the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, or EMO, conference. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as we know, October 24th, is going to be voting day here in Hamilton and in municipal elections across the province. In this city, there there is going to be a monumental change because many incumbents are not running for re-election, including Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, who, by the way, is going to join us in just over an hour to talk about the recent AMO conference that he attended. 91 candidates have registered in this year's municipal election, but there are seven incumbents, including the mayor, not seeking re-election. So what's going to happen? Who has the edge? Is this really a an election of change? Let's discuss that with our next guest. Peter Grafe is a professor of political science at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you. There are, as I mentioned, seven incumbents not seeking re-election. That's at least really half of the council that is going to be comprised, at least half of the council, going to be comprised of newcomers. Can we say this is a, a, a change election in this city? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, uh, in the last uh, election, we had, I guess, four uh, new councillors. I mean, one of them, Brad Clark, was coming back. But, uh, you know, so uh, at least seven, you're looking at, you know, almost twice that. So I think you are going to see a different uh, city council. Uh, both in terms of the people who are there, but maybe also a bit generationally. Uh, you know, many of the people stepping down are people who have been there and, and been very present in Hamilton politics pretty much from the time of amalgamation or even pre-amalgamation. And, uh, you know, it may be interesting to see uh, what happens when uh, kind of a next generation gets elected. Do they have a somewhat different view uh, of the city? I mean, in many of these wards, uh, you know, we've seen some substantial population growth. So the people who are there don't, you know, the majority of the people in some of these wards don't remember a Hamilton before amalgamation. And so maybe they see things a bit differently where Hamilton is a, a city, you know, a city which they they may have a particular view of based on where they're living, uh, but not the idea that ultimately this is some imposition on them and that they should be supporting, you know, a greater Stony Creek or, uh, you know, a greater Binbrook uh, and so forth. With so many new faces set to join council on October the 24th, does that mean that the direction of the city could change? Well, I mean, I think in any election there is that opportunity, although a city is something that, you know, that moves slowly. And in many cases, you know, it's less city council than what, what, uh, what residents are pushing. But certainly, you know, ideas about uh, questions of transit or housing... Uh, or accountability, uh, the manner in which uh, city council relates to city staff. I mean, a whole series of issues, big and small, yeah, do change when you have a substantial turnover in in, in who's representing the city. So uh, I think it would lead to a city hall that's maybe more uh, willing to listen to residents rather than to say, well, this is the way things have always been done and there's no real reason to, to look for alternatives. In a couple of months, Hamiltonians and voters across the province will elect new mayors and councillors and school board trustees, for that matter, in their communities. We're discussing that with Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Do any of the mayoral candidates screen change? Uh, no, I mean, I think each in their own way. I mean, there's, what, about nine, I think, who are on the ballot uh, there's probably three uh, candidates that we've talked most about. 
you know, Keenan Loomis, Bob Bertina, Andrea Horvath. Uh, I mean, of the three, uh, Keenan Loomis is probably the least known and doesn't have uh, the experience on city council. Uh, in that way, probably screams more change. But, you know, being the president of the Chamber of Commerce means you weren't that far uh, from City Hall. And so, uh, you know, I think in all cases, uh, we have candidates, you know, who citizens will have to look closely at in, in terms of that change. I, I mean, we saw Bob Bertina's platform released last week and, uh, you know, some very, you know, interesting ideas in that. But again, I guess citizens will be asking, well, why wasn't that done when Mr. Bertina was on council or mayor? You know, and similarly, Andrea Horvath, presumably when she gets uh, her ideas out, people will say, again, you know, how does this stack up in terms of the Andrea Horvath we knew when she was on council, but probably more also when she was leader of the opposition. So for all three of them, you know, I think citizens have a reason to look closely at them. Uh, they'd all in their own way bring bring change. Um, but, you know, I guess that's the point of this campaign is for them to really make clear uh, what's worth keeping and what needs to change. In Hamilton's last election, it was really an LRT referendum in terms of the mayor's vote. This year, you know, we have urban sprawl. We may have the LRT again, uh, road safety, affordable housing. There isn't one truly hot button galvanizing issue. How does that impact those who are running for mayor? Yeah, I mean, I think even, you know, Bob Pertina seemed to take the LRT issue mostly off the table in, in his uh, run, so that probably won't be part of part of it. Well, uh, I think then it becomes much more personality-driven. But also, you know, there will be a number of issues that people will look at and, and we'll see, you know, divisions between uh, the different candidates uh, on those around things like the urban boundary expansion urban sprawl, what do we do? I mean, you know, a lot of emphasis has been placed on homelessness, but I think also housing affordability is going to be important for people who are thinking about, well, how do their kids manage to stay in our community? So, you know, I think an issue may emerge as the as the different campaigns uh, sort of mobilize against each other. But I think a lot in a, in a system where we don't have political parties, a, a lot is based on brand and on, you know, personality. And so, uh, part of it will be these campaigns trying to convince us that the person, uh, you know, whether it's Keenan Loomis or Bob Pertina or Andrew Horvath or one of the other candidates, has what it takes uh, to make the city work and has a vision to to move on it forward on a number of files. And in a situation where I think there's been a loss of trust around things like the Red Hill cover-up or uh, uh, the, the dumping of sewage waste into Coots Paradise and cover-up, uh, a lot will also be about restoring trust and transparency uh, between City Hall and the city. Should be an exciting time later on this fall. Peter, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. That's Peter Grafe, professor of political science at McMaster University, breaking down the finality of the candidates who have indeed registered to run in this fall's municipal election. Voting day again, October 24th. There's going to be four days of advance polls in October, October 7th, 8th, 14th, and 15th. And, of course, we'll remind you closer to those days when, how, and where you can vote. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are also celebrating today because of what happened over the weekend. Saturday, in fact, Lake Ontario, and the shoreline is there, and look who arrives. That's Mike Shorman. The unbalanced paddleboarder and the first disabled person to paddleboard across all five Great Lakes. Mike, welcome back to the show. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, and, and good morning. 
We've uh, we've profiled this five Great Lakes trek all along. We've had you on a number of times to talk about your excursions. What was it like as you're approaching the Lake Ontario shoreline, knowing that you have completed all five Great Lakes? Oh, it was um, it was really emotional coming through Vitrano Harbor. Uh, the Toronto Marine Police Unit came out about a mile out from from Toronto um, to to escort me and my boat in. Uh, my boat's in, and uh, and when we got into the harbor, we were joined by other Toronto Marine Police units, and then the Toronto Marine uh, Fire Brigade came out, and the Coast Guard came out, and um, and I got very emotional, and then uh, we're going through the harbor, and I saw the the Toronto ferries that go over to the island, and we were just crossing there when I saw a bunch of outrigger canoes um, start start coming our way, and then they started cheering. And then I turned around, and and they were looping around to come behind us, and and there were there were about thirty thirty of them, with about six to eight people inside each of them, and and they were just cheering and yelling, and it was it was very emotional, um, but it was really nice. I know when I see a police vehicle, the first thought on my mind is, oh, did I do something wrong? Was there was there a split yeah, second you thought? Oh. <laughs> um. Which one of the five Great Lakes was the most difficult? I think Lake Michigan, um, my fourth one, was was the most difficult. There, um, there was really bad weather on that one. Uh, they all had different things. Um, Lake Ontario was the first one that I was physically sick in. Um, I was sick in the middle of the night crossing, and we were worried because when you start vomiting in a in a marathon, you're you're pretty much done. Um, but each each one had um, had different challenges, and um, and I'm I'm just really happy that I've I've made it through. <laughs> and you weren't just doing this for fun. I mean, there was a great cause that really uh, was underlining your performance here. Absolutely. So so this is you know this is for two reasons. One, it, it's to send a message about persons with disabilities, and two, it's to raise funds for youth mental health. We have a youth mental health crisis in this country, and I'm very passionate about that. Um, I had a mental health breakdown myself when I was told that I would never paddleboard again, and I lost my lost my mobility, and I lost my paddleboarding business um, in 2018. And, um, and I realized that I didn't want kids and young Canadians to ever feel alone or hopeless like I did. And unfortunately, um, we're seeing an increase in access to mental health programs and services like never before. So this is to help Jack.org put mental health programs in schools here and across Canada and every province and territory. So I'm really appreciative and grateful to Canadians who are making pledges and donations. They're, they're doing that at Jack.org forward slash number five Great Lakes. And, um, and it, it's, it's helping save young Canadian lives. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful. If any of our listeners missed uh, Mike's previous um, uh, interviews with us, uh, Mike was diagnosed with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome uh, about four years ago now, which obviously changed your life, and now you're helping change the lives of others in in really the country with this initiative and with this fundraiser. Is there any idea of how much money has been raised? Um, I haven't checked since it's, it's been a whirlwind for the last 24 hours. I do know that it's gone up. Um, it was sitting at 60. I think, I think we're, I don't know, teetering towards 70, but it keeps on going and going and going. 
and um, I'm just really, hopefully we get to the 100,000 mark by, by the end of the week or so. Um, but we will keep it open until the end of September because there are a lot of events that I'm doing and um, a lot of shows and, and things. So hopefully it just keeps climbing. We got about a minute. What's next for you? Oh, well, the Pacific. Uh, really? We have to paddleboard across the Pacific or the Atlantic, obviously. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. My, uh, I think I will probably do something next year. You know, we, my team is amazing and they love these. And I keep saying that one of them has to do it and I'll support them. Um, but I am, what's next for me is definite. I'm going to take a rest. This has been 10 months of finding boats in two countries and finding boat drivers and training and, and, you know, all of this. So, so I'm going to take a bit of a rest and um and just try to enjoy things maybe watch some tv and have uh have some you know bad food that i'm not supposed to have <laughs> catch up on that pvr and get the junk food ready mike you <laughs> certainly have deserved it you're an inspiration to many and i'm sure we'll see and, and hear from you back very very soon thanks for the time today congratulations once again Thank you very much. Mike Sherman, the unbalanced paddleboarder, first disabled person to paddleboard across all five Great Lakes as he did so Saturday on the shores of Lake Ontario. Truly inspirational. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The International Children's Games have come and gone. They were held August 11th to the 16th in Coventry, England. And uh, a number of local athletes went there and fared well, had a successful showing, including our next guest. He's a Hamilton swimmer who medaled three times at the ICG in Coventry. His name is Brady Lewison, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brady, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? How are you doing? Three medals. Excited. <laughs> Tell us about your swims. Um... Well, first I had the hundred back, or yeah, and that went better than expected. I went into the meet expecting not really much because it is international. You got countries all over the world. Went in with not that big of an expectation, came out with three medals, pretty excited about that. It was great to hold the flag up on the podium or surrounded by all these different countries, different athletes. Had the Canada section in the crowd cheering for us. That part was just amazing. Yeah. You had a couple of medals in the backstroke and another in the butterfly. So in the 100 backstroke, you finished third. Uh, that was yes. also the case in the 200 backstroke. And you won a silver in the 50-meter butterfly. Tell yeah. us about that race, because that, that's pretty much over in the blink of an eye. Yeah, that was out of nowhere i went into it i'm a backstroker not a flyer so i went in with no expectation to medal then at prelims i go into it um come out second and that's where i realized that i had a shot of meddling then in finals i just right before i got on the block blanked out went and there i was came second Best medal I've gotten this meet. Yeah, that's amazing. And like a half a second off the lead, when you when you say you blank out, like you're in the zone, right? When you're yeah. swimming, what does that zone feel like? Like, are you aware of your surroundings? Is it all about technique? What's going through your mind? Through the 50s, honestly, nothing's going through my mind. It's all muscle memory. I just go for it and hope for the best. 
And, and so d- is that different from like a 50-meter butterfly compared to a 200-meter backstroke? Because you're in the water for a couple of minutes there. Oh, yeah, completely. In the 200, it's all technique for me. I worry about where my hand placement goes, how hard I'm kicking, how long I'm going underwater, all that stuff. But in the 50, it's just get up and go right away. And how aware are you, Brady, when you're in the water? There's, you know, six or seven others in the water with you. How aware are you of where you are in the race? Not too aware because in the fly, you can't really see the lanes next to you. I can see who was in first because they were slightly ahead of me. Right. So I could see them, but around me, I had no idea where anyone was, and I was just pushing, hoping for the best. So it's literally, you know, the, the race is over, you're looking at the scoreboard, and you're thinking, okay, where, where did I end up? Yeah, yeah. It takes a second to take it all in, looking on the scoreboard, looking at all the times and everything. But right next to your name, it says second, and that's when I just went crazy. <laughs> what, yeah, what was that feeling like? It was amazing. I looked up in the stands, everyone was cheering. I didn't really understand what was happening at first, because I didn't expect to get a medal in that then i look up at the board see second and then i my mouth just dropped i didn't <laughs> have anything to say that's pretty cool brady lewison is yeah. our guest a hamilton swimmer who medaled three times at the international children's games these games are set up for athletes between the ages of 12 and 15 and brady bringing home three medals is absolutely awesome what else did you get to do in coventry did you get to explore watch other events or other athletes what did you do of course yeah so um, team Hamilton went a little early. We all went to London to kind of bond as a team. We went to Buckingham. We got to go inside. We went to the London Eye. We went to Big Ben. We traveled all over London. All got to bond. Then we all got to the Athletes Village. And then that's where most of the bonding started. And we got to talk to all different teams. We got to trade pins, all of that. So it was... It wasn't just all swimming. Got to do a little socializing, too, so that was amazing. Outside of the pool, what was the highlight for you on this trip? I would say opening ceremonies for sure. We all got there, came off the bus, walked in as Team Canada, Hamilton, kind of. We walked all in through kind of like a tunnel, and they call out your country, your city, and you have all the fans from all over the world just in a crowd cheering for you and you just walk out have your own moment and then after that we all got to party so that was great <laughs> that was that was definitely the highlight so it's almost like a mini olympics oh yeah 100% it was like i couldn't tell you a single country that wasn't there it was just if i ever make it there that's i'm sure that'll be exactly how it is that's my next question does this kind of wet the palate of Man, you, you got to make that last, like that last push to get to the Olympics. How yeah. How big of a dream is this of yours? How realistic is it? I haven't really looked at that because opportunities like this just pop out of nowhere. So right now I'm just kind of swimming, doing my own thing. And then when my mom comes and tells me, hey, you got this coming up, you got that coming up, that's when I kind of lock in and start focusing on that. So when she gives me that little talk about, if I'm going to trials or if I'm close to making it, that's when I'll start. Pretty cool. Brady, Lew- about that. Brady Lewison is a 15-year-old Hamilton swimmer winning three medals at the International Children's Games in Coventry, England. So what's next for you? What's next on the calendar? Right now, just worrying about school, going back. Oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, we got that going on. And then 
we'll kind of see what goes on from there. Well, congratulations on your success. Continued uh, great luck with, uh, I, I know you're with the Golden Horseshoe Aquatic Club. You've yeah. won international medals. Uh, a bright star in our community. Brady, really appreciate your time. Best of luck going forward. Thank you. Brady Lewison, a Hamilton swimmer who medaled three times a silver and two bronze in Coventry, England. By the way, international children's games have been around since 1968, a long and illustrious history in which athletes between the ages of 12 and 15 compete in various sports, dozens of sports. Hamilton has a significant distinction with ICG. Our city hosted the games twice. We're actually the first Canadian city to do so in 1994 and again in 2000. Kelowna hosted the Winter International Children's Games in 2011, Windsor hosting the Summer Edition in 2013. Next year, the International Children's Games will be held in South Korea. Best of luck to all the athletes who will qualify and make Canada proud at that event. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So you will know that at the end of each and every show, I do a list of celebrity birthdays. And today will be no different. There's a long list of celebrities that celebrate uh, birthdays today. And you will have heard from time to time that I mention, hey, happy birthday to my sister or brother or father or cousins. Well, before I went on vacation last week, I failed to mention that my mom's birthday was on August the 14th. And, well, that didn't go over too well. And so I called her on the 14th at like 2 in the afternoon, and I normally do it in the morning because I thought, oh, her birthday's on the 16th. No, it's on the 14th. And so I give her a call, and she was a little disappointed that I didn't mention her birthday on the show. So with that being said, I thought I'd do something a little more special than ordinary on the show in celebration of her now belated birthday. And you will probably know if you're a if you're a fan of the show, if you've listened to the show, that I'm a big Kiss fan. And one of my favorite songs that Kiss uh, concocted over the years is Beth. Amazing song. Uh, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris on vocals and the piano, Ace Frehley, all members of Kiss. So with that being said, here is my rendition of that song with some, well, different lyrics. Enjoy. Or don't eat your Cheerios for the next couple minutes. Mom, I forgot your birthday. I had a lot of stuff going on. It's clear my mind was swaying. Cause I was going on vacation It was two days later That I called you on your big day At least I got that right Oh mom, I'm such a schmuck Mom, I'm such a schmuck You said you were disappointed that I didn't mention your B-Day My mind was somewhere else 
And now you feel dismayed It was two days later That I called on your big day At least I got that right Oh mom, I'm such a schmuck Mom, I'm such a schmuck Mom, I know you're angry And I hope you'll be alright Cause it'll be a whole year To get it right. So, you know, the vocals aren't right there, but my piano skills, let me tell you, on point so happy belated birthday mom (laughs) i'll say this yes that was a train wreck it wasn't as bad as this hello Hello. what's your name my name's the onkar judge okay why are you here onkar because i believe i've got what it takes to wait the x factor are you gonna win yes i am good who are you as good as michael jackson's daniel benningfield george michael all right all right here i go then what have we done to the world? Look what we've done. What about all the peace that you pledged your only son? Did you ever stop to notice all the children dead from war? Did you ever stop to notice this crying earth is weeping sure? I thought that was a, I thought that was a, uh, I thought that was a solid wall. Ow. Wow, that's got to hurt. It doesn't hurt. Oh. That doesn't. Are you sure? No, it doesn't hurt. Onka, <laughs> what the hell was that? Wow. My voice isn't there. Sorry to say. Seriously, uh, I am a true performer. I've been in karaoke finals without looking at the screen and I've had 95% of the audience on my side. I'm going to be honest with you, Onka. It is one of the worst I've ever, ever heard. I don't know, Mr. Cowell. You haven't heard my rendition of Beth slash Mom. <laughs> who did it better? That should be our poll question today. Coming up, we're going to chat with a Hamilton swimmer who medaled three times at the International Children's Games. That's next here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.